This is episode 46 of Alohomora for August 31st, 2013. Hey everyone, welcome to our last episode of August for 2013. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Kat Miller. And our special fan guest today is somebody that we have read from many times on this show. Her name is Leah, but you all know her as Hufflepuffskeen. Welcome. Thank you. Leah, I gotta tell you, I love your name. (laughs) And I love your username as well. Yeah, how did you come up with it? How did you come by it? I think it's the perfect merger of something cute and also a Puffskeen. Well, it was actually my second attempt. I made one. I told a friend about it, and she's like, "Mm, nah, you got to pick a different one. So I was sorted into Hufflepuff on Pardermore and decided that I'm proud about that. So um, I wanted it in my name, and I always loved the Puff schemes. They were one of my favorite bits um, of uh, Weasley's, Weasley's Wizard Weezes. So I decided to put them together. The rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> yes, Puff Pride. I was also sorted into Hufflepuff on Pottermore. Much to Caleb's chagrin, because I still parade around in Gryffindor robes. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Caleb, you scared me, sir, when you said that this was our last episode. Um, of course, you said then, of August, really worried me because uh, there was a last podcast episode recorded earlier in the week that I was on. And uh, I just wanted to mention it here really quickly um, because it means a lot to me. MuggleCast, uh, the Harry Potter podcast that started out on MuggleNet in 2005 has now ended. And I want to give a shout out to any of the new listeners, um, because I did, uh, you know, kind of send them in this direction. Hello, new listeners. Although you would, you will have already seen this, uh, you know, the posts on MuggleNet and all that for Alohomora. If you're coming over now, per my recommendation, thank you and welcome. Yes, welcome very much. Um, are you doing okay since the end? Do you need comfort? I'm feeling okay at the moment. I'm feeling great, actually, because we got back into the books. I read me some Goblet. There was an exciting Quidditch scene. It really took my mind off things. So, uh, yeah, I'm actually, I'm really pleased. We've had good weather this week, and uh, in spite of everything, I'm feeling good. Good. Well, I'm glad. Congratulations on your eight years. Thank you. Of course. Let's get into our comments from last week's discussion. So last week on Alhamora, we read the chapter Bagnan and Crouch, and here are just some um, comments that were submitted. The first one is from Justin Dunn. This was sent in via email. Very interesting idea. Justin says, We all know wizards' photos and paintings can move, and some can talk. So keeping this in mind, could you not have books that had talking pictures? Say you wanted to learn French. You could have a French-language book that had a little French man or French woman in a small picture on each page. Think of the possibilities that you could have if, as you read through your French language book, a little French person was there to help you how to say the words and phrases and teach you the correct inflection and grammar. That's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) You know... Definitely for those visual learners, too. Especially for the visual and auditory learners, like... I'm learning French at the moment, actually, uh, using Rosetta Stone, and and that's good. But I think a, a book with uh, interactive little French men and women, that would be 
probably a step better because I feel like I do want that human, you know, tutor to be like, no, that's wrong. I just think that's a what a what a great compromise. Like that that was a really good thought. I just that is a good email. Yeah, definitely worth uh, including. Yeah. The next one uh, comes to us via voicemail. Hi guys, my name's Elizabeth. I was just listening to the episode Goblet of Fire, Chapter Five, and at near the end of the episode, they were talking about Bertha Jorkins going missing, and I realized um, that there was a whole lot of foreshadowing that I've never caught before. Um, Percy mentions that Barty Crouch is very concerned about Bertha Jorkins, whereas um, Ludo Bagman is not. Um, and Percy surmises it's because he worked in her department at one time and he was quite fond of her. But I realized that it's because he, um, Bertha figured out the secret about Barty Crouch Jr. And he's terrified that if Bertha Jorkins is lost, that someone has found her and found out his secret. That's all. I don't know if you guys mentioned it in an upcoming episode, but I was kind of freaking out by figuring it out, so I thought I'd share. Thanks. Ah, this is clever. Good old Barty Crouch Sr. Slimy old Barty Crouch Sr. That's all I have <laughs> That's all I have to say about this. It's uh, I find his story and storyline in this book to be very unique. I don't think Joe ever repeated something quite like his story. Well, it just uh, it makes me think, you know, sometimes authors will go back and write a different perspective on a story, and to see what he goes through throughout this whole ordeal, um, even back to, like, when he was doing all the arrests um, and, you know, had to arrest his son and everything, seeing his perspective on this and what he goes through with learning about his son and everything, um, that would sure be a different sort of story, but um, it would be really interesting. Yeah, this is something that I'd never picked up on before. Um, actually, should have gone back and read the line over again to pick it up. But yeah, I agree. I, I Barty Crouch is one of those people that is so weird but intriguing at the same time. All I remember from the movie is Hungarian Hauntel. Ooh, Chinese <laughs> yeah. Fireball. Ooh. <laughs> oh my god. So excessive. I, I cannot wait. I but hated his death scene in the movie, but we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah, we all in good time. So thank you, Elizabeth, for sending in that voicemail. Uh next comment comes from our Alohomora main page, uh Mr. Sci Five. Uh okay, great episode as always. I believe Lara brought up wanting some form of magical transportation that has to do with water. Isn't Durmstrang's old ship some kind of magical sub ship? I would imagine that's probably how many of the wizard ships were set up back when ships were a big form of transportation for them. For that matter, you also have Bobaton's flying carriage as well coming later in the book. That's true. Yeah. Super, super awesome uh, floating pirate ship. That'd be pretty cool. As long as you don't get wet in the process. <laughs> <laughs> well. I just am thinking of like the way the, the ship's go on Pirates of the Caribbean, the third one at World's End, how they're, like, going on different sides of the world, and they're all just, like, soaking wet. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, okay. how, does, how does it work, though? Like, does the ship travel underwater, or does it, like, apparate from one body of water to the other? Well, when it comes to Hogwarts, it comes up with, like, a whirlpool, doesn't it? Yeah. But does it go through some, like, channel, or does it just appear? It's a TARDIS. Could could it be like the well? I don't know how the TARDIS gets around. Could it be? Could it be a um? Well, basically, like both. Like it, it has to be in water for it to work. 
but then it does like teleport. It creates a whirlpool that's like a vacuum through time and space, not time, space. Sorry, now I'm thinking of <laughs> Doctor Who. Through Sorry. space. Wow. We're going so many places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because it just, um, you know, it whirlpools up and creates sort of a chance. Well, like, kind of like how the night bus gets around with a bang, it's all of a sudden somewhere else, but only, it only works in water. Yeah. I can't imagine that you wouldn't get wet. Well, I guess they could have some sort of charm that they put on it, you know, like water repelling or something. Yeah, probably, because otherwise you'd drown. It wouldn't, it, wouldn't ju- it wouldn't just be getting wet. It would be not being able to breathe. Um, so I, I do imagine... Yeah, that's the most important job, the guy who puts the yeah. waterproof down. Well, plus <laughs> let's talk about pressure and getting the bends and all that stuff. So I imagine it would be like protective enchantments that prevent water from getting in. But it could be a creaky old ship. It doesn't necessarily need to be sealed the way that steel submarines are. You know what I'm saying? And because of the magic, it, it would be able to keep, you know, people sustained on it. But uh, definitely thinking ahead. Uh, so that was excellent. Um, thank you for sending that in, Mr. Sci-5. Next comment comes from Martin Miggs, the Mad Muggle. Um, Martin says, Brazilians are not excited for the World Cup. I guess this is in response to one of our comments from last week. A lot of money is spent on building those stadiums, and the country currently has bigger issues, like healthcare, education, etc., that are being swept under the rug. The president of FIFA has even questioned whether it was a good choice to to pick Brazil to host the World Cup because of the anti-government protests going on. I don't want to pile on Lara here, sorry Lara, but I just thought it was important that we are all aware of everything happening in Brazil. Let's just say FIFA... Make the M.O.M. look like a wonderful, lovely organization. (laughs) Yikes. Wow. Well, there is, I mean, I know a lot of people who, uh, because I I work in Belize in the summertime, and there are a lot of people who have interesting comments about corruption in FIFA and and all that. So um, it's definitely a hot topic right now in any case. Yeah, we did get um, some good comments on that on on our topic in the forums I saw. Um, just shout out to the Illuminore forums. Our next comment comes from uh, the forums, believe that or not, surprise there, from our good friend Saiyan Girl. Um, Saiyan Girl says, Hey guys, great episode as usual, but I was kind of disappointed that there was no mention of the silk confection resembling a palace with peacocks tethered at the front. Did anyone else pick up on this? I strongly suspect that this would have to be the Malfoy's tent. And I just find it hilarious that Lucius deems it necessary to parade his peacocks even at a campsite. I did think about that when I read. I don't know why I didn't bring it up in the show, but when I thought about when I read peacocks, it definitely made me think of the Malfoys. Do we think but that the Malfoys are? Do we think that the Malfoys are legitimately camping out? Right, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> like, I don't think they would be like in a campsite, at least where most people could see them. So I figured it just had to be someone else who has an adoration for peacocks as well. (laughs) Maybe it's the people who the Malfoys bought their peacocks from. There you go, the peacock farmers. The breeders, (laughs) You think that's Um, illegal? I mean, it must not be. Do peacocks have, like, in folklore, do peacocks have, like, uh, magical powers of any kind? Or are they... Uh, They just have a lot of multicolored, a lot of highly decorated tail feathers. Yeah, I don't know anything about peacocks. But I I do imagine that there are, that they are revered in some cultures for their beauty. Um, Probably. But anyway, there are more comments here, uh, also from, or still from Saying Girl. Um, Regarding the muggle owners of the campsite, I actually always thought it was a nice gesture of the Ministry of Magic to keep them on. 
To me, it suggests that they still consider the ethical implications of basically making a muggle lose his job or deny access to the job and its subsequent funds for a prolonged period. The ethical implications of all the memory charms are worrisome, though. That's a really good point. I hadn't really thought of it that way. To be honest, yeah, like, like I just sort of see it as the ministry being lazy. Lazy? So, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it still comes back to what we talked about last week, that they should have found a place where this wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah. Well, it's odd because there are, what, only two? Is it a man and his wife or is it his daughter as well or... I think there's kids, right? There's kids? Yeah, I think there's two kids, It's It's still a question of a handful of muggles, easily dealt with, really. You can reassign their identity and send them away completely, but they didn't. You know, they have, they, instead they have all these memory wizards running around trying to fix them all the time, ten times a day. But why don't they just get rid of them? Where is this, I, I can see what saying girl's saying, there's some kind of ethical issue that's making them still keep the muggles on. Yeah. I don't buy that because, I mean, we've definitely come to the conclusion many times that wizards are not ethical. They don't care about that stuff. Even even Fudge has to go over and tell the prime minister what's going on certain times. So I do think, well, I, I do disagree, but that's okay. Um, we're moving on. About, uh, this is still from Zangirl, about the tents themselves. I always figured they'd seem like normal tents, even when going inside, until the moment they're completely set up which is when the undetectable expansion charm kicks in. Cat, the spell is most likely to be Gallifreyo Tardisio, bigger on the inside. Nice, v- very good, very good uh, spell invention there. I like that. <laughs> Shout out to the Doctor Who. Oh, uh, I was like, I don't get it. Yeah. Oh, Gallifrey well, is, is the planet that the Doctor's from and the TARDIS, you know. Is that right. that blue um, police box? The police box. Oh, okay. Time in relative ten- dimension in space. All right. Well, that wraps up comments for our main points last week. But we do have some really great responses to the question of the week that Cat came up with. Um, and as a reminder, the question asked: We learned that Mister Roberts, the Muggle at the Quidditch World Cup campground, needs a memory charm ten times a day to be happy. What effects do we think that the repeated obliviation has on him? Is it more or less severe because he is a muggle? And why does his memory seem to be creeping back in? So going through most of the comments, pretty much there was an agreement that um, it's not any more severe because he is a muggle, which I was kind of surprised at. I thought more people would take um, the other side and it would be kind of split. But the first comment we get is from Cassandra, Cassandra1447, which says... Believe uh, this continues a longer comment. Um, believe that the repeated memory charms are probably doing a fair bit of damage to Mr. Roberts' short-term memory. While a single memory charm might not cause lingering damage, I think ten a day over a period of weeks certainly would. I wouldn't be surprised if he has the memory-related mental issues later in life. Brains can be quite fragile, and regardless of if he is a Muggle or a wizard, such repeated tampering must not be good for him. As to why his memory keeps coming back, I think there are two main reasons. The first is simply that he keeps seeing weird things happen. So he might be able to forget one weird thing, only to see another weird thing 30 minutes later, and then needs another memory charm. The other reason is that memories are highly interconnected. It would be very hard to remove or alter his memories just enough to forget all the wizarding stuff 
without making him forget everything else surrounding them. Yeah, this made me, like, actually think about the fact that the person who is doing the memory charm has to know the memory they want to access and then force out or alter or whatever. So it's re- it's pinpointing something rather than saying, let's wipe the whole memory itself. Um, it, I'd never really thought about the sort of mechanics of that. I don't think that's true, though, because if you're trying to break into somebody's memory, you don't know what you're trying to get from them. Well, I would imagine that, like, the Ministry of Wizards would know that, you know, he's got, Mr. Robert saw, you know, somebody apparate or something, and that's what they have to target. Otherwise, how would they make sure they got it? No, I mean, I think that's true in this case. I'm just not sure that that's always true. Um, Yeah, I was just going to say, I think, I agree that this comment made me think a lot more about the mechanics of the memory charm, which I hadn't really thought about in depth either. Um, So good comment. Um, the next one comes from Usman Asaf, and if I said that wrong, I apologize. Uh, it says, I always compare a human brain to a computer's hard drive, so I always imagine that erasing a memory is rather like setting a file hidden on your computer. Technically, it's gone. No one will be able to access it unless they know it's hidden. Thus, you can hide away many or as little as you want on your computer without harming the operating system. So a memory charm works in the same principle. It just locates the memory and hides it away. That's why Voldemort was able to access Bertha Jorkins' memories about Barty Crouch Jr. If we assume that a memory is hidden, no effect is taking place in Mr. Roberts' brain at all. It certainly cannot be worse or less severe because he is a muggle, as I don't think the anatomy of a wizard's brain differs to that of a muggle. See, now... I really like the analogy there. Yeah, I do too, but I disagree with the last part. I have a feeling that their brains work quite differently than ours. I can't articulate it. I'm not a brain surgeon. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you could say that the magic would, their ability to do magic would have some effect on the mental processes that go into their, mm-hmm. you know, their their life, how they interact with things, you know, how they how they observe things and perceive things, too. Yeah, but for the most part, I, I agree with the comment. I just don't agree with the last line. I I honestly, truly think that because he's a muggle, it's more damaging to him. Yeah, I mean, that's a really, like, I keep going back in my brain, back and forth right now, like, what I think, and I'm not entirely sure. That's such a complex thing to weigh. Um, actually, it looks like, I just realized this, this happened again, I think this happened last week. Leah, it looks like we have your comment in here, so maybe, maybe you should read it. Um, so, in response to the question, uh, the scenario makes me think about the ethics of magic, and especially magic that involves manipulating or altering someone's mental state or memory. We know that imperious works to overtake someone's personal decision-making ability, basically their free will. While distinct, memory charms also affect mental processes. Imperious is illegal and unethical, but obliviate doesn't seem to be illegal, but in my mind, it certainly is unethical. In a sense, removing or altering someone's memory, however trivial or significant that memory is, is in another way to remove their free will and thus their unalienable rights. I realize that the memory charms used to control Mr. Roberts would likely be justified under the Statue of Secrecy, but what about the others we have seen in the series? And can wizards sneak up on another and perform a memory charm? Isn't this just a perfect way to get out of trouble, clean up a crime, manipulate opinions on important matters? Or are ministry officials only allowed to perform memory charms? Does the ministry presume the authority over what people are allowed to remember? And um, it, it 
this sort of came out of my thought that, man, they're doing this on a muggle this many times. And it sort of goes back into the general idea about how wizards perceive muggles and um, their inability to do magic. I think we've talked about the kind of ethics behind memory charms before, right? When it came up with Lockhart, but because he's a muggle, it seems so much more wrong. Well, isn't there a department of the ministry that is specifically for memory charms? Yeah. Isn't it the, the memory reversal squad or something like that? Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's there's accidental magic reversal squad, and then there's, they, I think they have memory guys for that. The Obliviators, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it, like, fundamentally go towards that issue that wizards think that muggles are lesser? Well, yeah, well, think about, I mean, another way of performing a memory charm, If say if you didn't want to do a memory charm, you'd imperio somebody into removing that memory and putting it away, like in a pensive or a tube or whatever. We've seen wizards just um, taking memories and putting them in glass vials. So you could imperio somebody, um, get them to remove that memory, uh, and that would be the same thing as doing a memory charm, but imperio is illegal, you know, and memory charms are not. I don't know if that's just a different way of seeing you know what you're saying i feel like i feel like they should be against muggles um unless you work for the ministry because you know we're gonna see an abuse of power though if that happens but isn't this abuse of power like i mean yeah because 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 extremely because the uh removal of memory is absolutely essential to the statute of secrecy um if wizards are to interact at all with muggles there needs to be a department and there need to be ways in which you can protect the wizard community, especially from the actions of one crazy wizard, um, like either Voldemort or just somebody who's maybe inexperienced, something like that. So that goes towards that that whole idea, really fundamental idea in government and politics and stuff, that, you know, sometimes the good of the collective it over outweighs, you know, the, the rights of one. So... The, the secrecy it, of the wizarding world. The, you know, yeah, I think it fun. raises the question, why didn't they just send this muggle family off to a vacation or something? I mean, aren't, aren't they paying them, though, too? Did I did I remember that from... I mean, aren't they getting paid for... They are rent? getting paid, yeah. So they won't really remember what it, what it's about or, you know, kind of specifics, just that a bunch of people came and, and were there for three weeks. I, I don't know, it's very interesting that they can target and they have to remember certain things, like... He just remembers this prosperous summer. Um, well, later he's going to remember being tortured. But what are you going to do? Right. Yeah, just one more quick response from someone else. It's actually a piece of a larger response. It kind of plays into the same idea about the ministry from Catelyn or Caitlin. I'm not sure. Catelyn Stark? Nah. Caitlin, probably. Um, <laughs> well, I say that because Eric gets it. But um, anyway, comment. It says, it's it's kind of a perfect example of how broken the ministry is even before we see it at its worst. This mode of operation, come in, obliviate, leave, would probably be fine for one-time cases. If a muggle saw magic happening, they dealt with it, and they were never in that situation again. There's literally no alternative plan or how to deal with muggles who are exposed to magical circumstances for hours on end. So, kind of just tying up what we just talked about. I mean, that's true. It's It still sits so uneasy with me, though. I just, it bothers me. I wouldn't want to be that guy. No. Mr. Roberts. <laughs> Should we jump into the chapter for the week? Let's jump. Or take a port key or a sinking ship. Or a carriage full of horses. Chapter 8 The Quidditch World Cup 
Okay, so here we are at the beginning of the Quidditch World Cup. The horn has blown, or the gong, I think is what the sound was, signaling the start of the 422nd World Cup. So the Weasleys and Harry and Hermione walk really far. It says 20 minutes, which is like approximately a mile if you're walking slow. So that's pretty far away from the campground. Like, that's a big, it's a big walk. And, um... As they walk up, it says that Mr. Weasley says that it seats 100,000 people. It's solid gold. <laughs> and Harry estimated that it would fit about 10 cathedrals in it. Who and decorated I was like, this? What? <laughs> like, that's insane. That's huge. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and I even think the movie sort of, like, there are more than 100,000 people in the stadium that they show in the movie. How can you tell? They only show it for five seconds. Well, yeah, but, like, just by the glance that you get at it. I mean, like, I think they overdid it a little bit in the scale. Um, it is for a movie, but... But, like, so this was written... What Am I correct in saying this was to be set in 1995? Um, yeah. That sounds right. So yeah. a stadium that seats 100,000 people, that like, the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, which is one of the newest um, stadiums that's been built, but that seats 100,000. Um, and that's like the newest right now. So a stadium seating 100,000 in 1995 would have been ridiculous. I think this is technically yeah, 94, this, isn't it? Because uh, this is the 94 and 95 year. Oh, yeah, oh, okay, that would make yeah. sense. Yeah. I mean, not that like summer 94. matter of a couple months matters, but. Yeah, that's that's a good point because I was thinking about where I went to college. Like our stadium now holds a little over 100,000 people, the football stadium. But that wasn't until they did the renovations in 2007 or eight, not too long ago. Um, so yeah, having that many people that far back is a pretty big feat. Yeah, it is a World Cup um, yeah. for, for Quidditch. And then, and then also though, it is just for a one-time event too. I think if you're dealing with things like parking you limit your space a little bit more seriously oh man i didn't even think about that they don't have to deal with parking at all so lucky they they can take up a little bit more they can take up a little bit more space so they're walking they walk up there and they get to the stadium and they say prime seats top box all the way up and i'm wondering like why is the top seats like the most prized well we find out that's true at like our stadiums too like the box seats yeah but no they're in the nosebleeds from what i gather yeah they're like at the top right i would want to sit somewhere in the middle well i think the reason is 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 given in this chapter is at the end of it the players themselves come to this box to get their trophy or whatever um i think that's really this is the box that lights up you know it's actually a little too conspicuous for Barty Crouch Jr. to be secretly hiding here, I think. Why Why would he choose the, the top box? That's crazy. All Spoilers, eyes, Eric. <laughs> all eyes are on the top box. So, yes, I, I was kind of torn too, Cat, because like you, I'm thinking they're so far up, they have to use like omnioculars to, to, to see basically what's going on. Wouldn't the closer seats to the field, just like in regular sports, be the best? But I guess, you know, when you're on a... Uh, when you're in a sport where people are flying, perhaps instead of being closest to the the pitch, closest to the sky is what is more I expensive. Would, I would want to be in the middle. I would want to be somewhere. <laughs> but what if like, I would because what you if know? the really cool play or thing that's going on is like Crumb going after a snitch and he's way up high? Like you'd want to be 
hot, you know, like it seems like the seekers are typically sort of like up above and they're the most, um, um, you know, the most famous players or whatever. So, but but he dives to catch the snitch in, in this, this game. Yeah, in this in this game, things crash into the ground quite high. But you know, Ireland does manage to score what seventeen goals or something like that, uh, sixteen or seventeen goals, and the hoops are quite elevated. So you know, being eye line with the hoops, I think you know, kind of would be a, a better seat than being on the ground. That's true. No, I would, I would, yeah. I would agree with that. But like, are we? There's more going up high in the air. Sorry, are we imagining the the seats to be like they do it in the movies for like Quidditch, the Quidditch pitch at Hogwarts, or is this? Are we imagining it like they showed it in the movie for the Quidditch World Cup? Like, it goes, I would say like in the movie, like tall and skinny with maybe only like five or six rows in each box. Yeah, but seeing how many people fit in Harry's box, too, it's also kind of questionable. Because they have both teams, in addition to whoever was normally sitting there um, for, this, for the game. Plus Ludo Bagman, who's announcing, is in that box. Which also may answer your question, Kat, why it's super popular. That's true. True, true. So, there's this great line that I had never caught before. I mean, per the use on this show, right? Yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, it says that Harry tore his eyes away. He was reading the magical sign... And he noticed a tiny creature sitting in the second from last seat at the end of the row behind him. And I just realized, like, who sits in the second to last seat? Why don't if you there's tell not them? someone invisible sitting in this last seat. Exactly. <laughs> and I just never caught it before. Like, Wait, I, 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 I missed something one of you said. I'm lost. <laughs> I said, so there's a tiny creature sitting in the second to last seat from the end of the row. Right. Like, who sits in the second to last seat? Oh, because... oh, Right, like, if you're going to sit, you're going to sit, like, on the end. Maybe Winky doesn't like the aisle because she's scared of heights and that puts her closer to the edge. Yeah, but then that would mean that the rows are facing... Like, you'd have to turn your, your head to one direction to look out the... To look at the field. So they yeah. must be facing forward so she wouldn't be anywhere near the edge. Maybe, but then there's also the hustle and bustle of people coming down. Okay, it's because she's got Barty Crouch under the invisibility cloak. And like, I mean, obviously, okay. that was my what, point. Like, what do you, you want to hear? What do you? <laughs> I don't want to hear anything. I was just pointing it out. So the other thing that I noticed is that it mentions that all the seats are purple, which we've talked about before, which is like the color of royalty, which I thought also brought, you know, elevated the level of importance of the people that are in that box. Um, so then the little creature that we find out is sitting in the second to last seat from the end is another house elf. Actually, um, Harry mistakes it for Dobby at first, but once she speaks, realizes that, no, this is probably a girl. And um, they start having a conversation about Dobby. And it really stuck out to me this time just how much Winky is kind of offended by Dobby. And she's making a really big deal about... Like, doing what you're told, staying in line, like, being a good house elf. Yeah, it actually, and, it made me think back to um, one of the MuggleNet Academia podcasts. They were talking about, um, a woman wrote a paper about um, house, house elves as housewives, but also about, like, their freedom. And this is really the moment, as readers and as Harry, the revelation comes that, oh, man, house elves don't actually want freedom. Like, well, apart from Dobby, you know, he's the exception. 
And so, like, while for the past couple books we've been thinking, oh, Dobby is saved, you know, um, but really he's become an outcast in his own community, uh, which is rather sad, and you know, and um, hard, I'm sure, on him, as we'll see later. Yeah, even though Hermione doesn't seem to be paying as much attention as Harry uh, to what Winky is saying, this is uh, completely the genesis for SPW that comes later because it, it's that same argument where uh, Hermione will go so far as to say that the house elves have, as a race, been hoodwinked into believing that they don't need pay, you know, and that and that kind of thing. Whereas Winky is also kind of like from her perspective, they never needed, you know, pay. And, and she told Dobby to like go sit down and start a family now that he's free or whatever. So she she really has these these different ideas and, and, and Dobby can't get a job anywhere because he's expecting to get paid. I also wanted to um, add, though, like when when we really get a sense of Winky talking, it made me think back about like how selves are represented as having poor speech. Like, you know, she grammatically, her speech is incorrect. She uses wrong tenses and things. So is this, is this a way to show us that they're not educated or, you know, like obviously they're probably not, but wouldn't they learn better English while living with their masters? But is this also, I mean, is it implying like a lesser mental ability um, or is it just sort of the neglect that, oh, we don't care how they speak or whatever? I think, I, th- I think it's all of the above. Um, I liken the house elves to, like, slavery in the U.S. And that they've always felt very similar in tone and attitude for me. Not, of course, not from Harry and Hermione and Ron's point of view, but the way that the people who, quote-unquote, own the house elves treat them. I mean, they are slaves and that I feel like that has always been some sort of underlying tone or commentary kind mm-hmm. of on Joe's part. And and to your question, Lee, about um wouldn't their, you know, English improve once they spoke to their masters? I'm sure there's a lot of owners out there who don't speak to their elves. Yeah. You know, at all. And and the elf only speaks when spoken to and only says yes sir and no sir, this, that sort of thing. And there may or not, may not be other elves, like Dobby was the only one with the Malfoys. So there are probably not multiple elves that an elf would speak to during the day. I mean, Hogwarts is a huge exception, um, but you just don't see them developing language skills through use of language um, in, in these common individual homes. That makes me so sad. They have such sad little lives. <laughs> That's the point of SPEW. I know. So Hermione's looking through her program, and she mentions that the team mascots are going to precede the match. And Mr. Weasley, you know, says, oh, they always bring great national treasures from their native <laughs> land, which I thought was really funny. But um, a little while later, they're all talking, and guess who shows up in the top box? None other than Lucius Malfoy. And we get here, I think, our first shadowing, uh, foreshadowing of how manipulative he is because the first thing that fudge says about him is oh uh he just made a huge donation to saint mungo's mm-hmm. uh he's here as my guest my question is why saint mungo's what it, it makes me question the the things that lucius malfoy puts his money into qu- makes me question the um you know kind of uh, professionalism not, not professionalism the good whether they're on the good side or bad side why would he be giving that much money to the hospital? You'd think it's like 
generous, but then there's also like this aspect of it seems kind of shady. Do you guys feel that at all? Like, is it a front and the money is being funneled somewhere else? Yeah, St. Mungo's is a creepy place. It's like hidden in a department (laughs) store, isn't it? I'm like, department stores are creepy with all the lights off. I always imagine. Maybe he's like, like, maybe his donation is going to fund like weird experiments or, you know, like, um, (laughs) All this dark yeah. stuff that goes on, you know, like autopsies and stuff. In, in the basement of St. Mungo's. Yeah, exactly. Because they see the, I don't know, it just, it, it was something that carries over from um, some of the old Wizarding World press books uh, and H.P. Sleuths and stuff that, that also questioned, well, if Lucius Malfoy puts his money in the hospital, what's going on at the hospital? Um, but it could just be kind of like, a, oh, a benefactor gave money to the starving children, you know, or the the children's hospital, for instance, if it were a children's hospital that he'd given the money to. Everybody would understand. Nobody would question. You know, it's funny. There's there's always been – Lucius is one of those characters for me that there's always been this weird, like, nagging in the back of my mind when I read about him that – and I think we learn this at the end that he's not as dark – and as awful as we kind of think that he is. So I'm wondering, now that you bring it up, I'm wondering if this is, like, kind of genuine. <laughs> no, yeah. like... Well, I think, it, I, I think it serves the benefit of where it can be genuine and still serve um, to achieve something else. Self-serving yeah. at the same time, yeah. Yeah. I mean, whenever we got that family history of the Malfoys on Pottermore quite a while back, I mean, you, you sort of discover that sort of element to the family history. Would That's you, true. Would you say that Lucius is more um, driven by his, you know, his his just self preservation, like, and his egotism, and you know, his narcissism, versus like a real? I mean, he hates muggles and and he hates mudbloods and stuff. But is his egotism the thing that really drives him, versus the you know the the hatred and the prejudice and everything? Yeah, look at the name of his wife. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's 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 subtextual. That's that's fourth wally. You you can't say that influences his decision. We accept the love we choose to receive. What what is that from? Wait, wait that's not the Hurts quote, is it? Is that the quote? Did I say it right? Yeah, we accept. No, we accept the love we think we deserve. That's yeah, it. that's different. Okay. That's perks. Um, but that's what I that's what I meant. Okay, okay. Well, no, I don't think I don't think uh, Lucius's ego drives him. I think his um, desire for healthy status in society um is what fuels him there's there's a difference is because it has less to do about him and more to do with like his raising his family and up you know to to that level i i think it's it's not just centered around his own person um so his objectives are you know he gives a lot of money which comes easy to him uh he gives a lot of money so that it gets him status and we see this transaction happening even in book five when lucius is with fudge um in the ministry we see him like paying him off in the movie um all that stuff so the, you know he's basically using his money and his means to to get ahead in 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 the government and get kind of a closer position in government without being himself an elected official but i don't i don't know that it's for him alone it's it's kind of the his his family name it's all about his family and not just necessarily him alone i actually thought i mean like the choice for his wife's name, Narcissa. I mean, that's really obvious, you know, narcissism, etc. But it's a bit ironic, too, because in the end, I mean, spoilers, but she is actually pretty selfless when it comes to, you know, like, getting her son and, you know, doing all these, you know, get, making sure that he's going to be okay and everything. 
Um, well, I, I wouldn't in terms call it of selfless. their family. Yeah, I disagree. Yeah, it's about with that. preserving the family. Yeah, it's it's all about preserving the family with her. So she she does care, but only and she does she does what's right, which is important by Harry. By you know, as soon as she can guarantee her son is alive, she then lies to the Dark Lord. But she she does only care if Harry had said no. <laughs> you know, Harry should have lied at that point, which we'll get to that in book seven. Like no matter what the answer is. Tell her her kid is alive so that she can do what's what what's going to get you out of the situation because mm-hmm. you know she she does what's right but really at that moment she only cared that that her life wasn't in ruin um, that everything she had been working for up to that point wasn't um, to the point where you can't take it back. Mm-hmm. All right, so getting back to the chapter, there was a word in here that I wanted to actually ask you guys about. Ooh. It's on um, page one hundred two of the U.S. edition. It's about in the middle of the page. It says, "Everyone ready?" He said, "This is the um, Ludo." Says his round face gleaming like a great excited Edam. E D A M. What is that? I mean, I could have Googled it, but I figured I would ask. You I guys. am going to Google it. I'm <laughs> um, it's a round. It's a round. <laughs> All right. You want to know what it is? You're uh-huh. going to be sorry. You're going to be sorry you asked. Um, okay. It is a round Dutch cheese, typically pale yellow with a red wax coating. Oh, Joe, I love you. (laughs) She's amazing. Okay, Um, it's a cheese. And and from Wikipedia, it is a semi-hard cheese that originated in the Netherlands and is named after the town of Eden in the province of North Holland. Obligatory genius moment. Ludo Bagman walks in and he does this awesome spell, which like projects his voice. Can't tell you how many times I've wanted to be able to do that. But um, he announces that the Quidditch World Cup is starting the 422nd. And he starts to introduce the team mascots. And I thought this bit was really interesting because before today, and I don't know why I had never looked this up, I didn't realize that Avila was like a legitimate thing. So I looked it up, and according to Wikipedia, um, they're reminiscent of sirens, um, which is the earliest recorded form of merpeople, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Mm. So they're related somehow. Um, It also says that they are thought to have a magic, which doesn't require a wand, kind of like house elves and goblins, mm-hmm. which I thought was cool. And leprechauns. And leprechauns, yes. Um, as we know, when angry, you know, they sprout wings, a beak, and ragged teeth like a harpy. And then, so this... Uh, which makes them sound really appealing. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've seen, we've seen them turn... We see them turn bad. Um, you know, and yeah, get really angry and their faces stretch. And yeah, I mean, the sirens of Greek mythology were actually bird-like and devoured men. Actually, uh, no, I, if I'm recalling it correctly, they had the most beautiful voices ever. Sailors would um, sail to, to, to follow their voices and then die when their ships crashed into rocks. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. Like, that's like the myths of mermaids, which I thought was just cool. But so all of that stuff, the last three points that I read, that was kind of like in the Potter fandom, how they relate. Um, but there's actually legitimate villas out there. And again, according to the wiki, it says that they're from Slavic mythology and they're nymph-like creatures who live in the water. So I guess the whole people thing works. But um, this jumped out at me and it says that they are a main feature in Bulgarian folklore. And there was a story that I found. Um, it's Marko Kralovic and the Vila. I couldn't read it. It was in Slavic. Oh. 
even with well, Google Translate, couldn't do it. You know, um, we need some of those picture books with Slavic uh, little <laughs> men and women to teach you. Uh, the <laughs> we do. Full circle. But I thought it was really interesting that they were like real legitimate creatures because I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, like so, if they're associated with merpeople and Fleur is part Vila, spoiler, um, wouldn't, shouldn't she have done better at the second task? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. That's so true. That is a legitimate question. That's a hole. <laughs> that just goes to show Fleur's in- inability. Yeah. So, of course, we know what happens when the Vela come out. All the men go gaga over them, and Harry is, like, about to dive off of them. Yeah, isn't it, like, it's, it just seems so excessive. <laughs> no, but this is, like, seriously, this is a comment. This is an awesome comment by Joe on how ridiculous men can be in front of beautiful women. Like, no. All right. No. All right. Disagree. <laughs> Can we boo that, Caleb? Just thumbs down. <laughs> yes, boo. boo. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta admit it. I although although I do wish that it could have been in the movie because this is the kind of scene that Daniel Radcliffe is. Oh, at. I know. That's I so love true. magic. I love Vila. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would have just been flipping out. Well, I think it would have taken some significant thunder from the later uh, Felix Felicis scene um, if he wow, were, you crazy. know, d- d- danger- dangerously on the edge with his leg up against the, you know, as her, <laughs> as, her- as Hermione finds him wanting to jump uh, down. I agree it would have been a good scene in the movie. But um, can't you imagine, but- like, a little piece of drool going down his cheek and everything? <laughs> God. Well, don't you remember, perfect. is it recently that J.K. Rowling admitted to only inventing Quidditch because she was making fun of how big sports are or something you guys hear this too oh, I, I i wasn't aware of that. no oh, what it, did it, you it make was, that up i'm a little hurt if that's true. I, I should i i really should find my source on that i i remember reading it or hearing about it extremely recently was it um, on pottermore just don't know but uh if if that's true and then you take you know what uh miss hufflepuffskin said over there about uh you know this drooling thing about being men against women i'm just feeling very attacked by jk rowling at the moment <laughs> well there you go <laughs> right as mel as a sports fan <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty much as a human being right now i'm feeling that. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah because i mean we have the crux of i mean everything is crazy this whole chapter everything is 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 crazy and everybody th- sees it as normal you know that the the mascots are fighting and the referee is going after the mascots and <laughs> you know the players are interfering with uh calls and there's fouls and they you know the game is getting aggressive and Harry's learning quite a bit um you know about his tactics and how he, <laughs> they've been lacking um it's just so much is going on and you know on top of that there's these beautiful uh female characters um it's it's all very high testosterone it is very much. No, I completely agree. Isn't there um, something out there that JKR she didn't really like writing Quidditch? Like I read that her too. Favorite? Well, I think about and she does it so well in this chapter, and that's something I had to comment about this chapter too, because you don't know anything about these foreign international Quidditch players, but the announcing of them and the way the game works, it's seamless because you don't need to know anything about sports or Quidditch to, to be able to kind of follow it. Um, but I think what she said was, you know, by the end of um, Prisoner, and this is why one of the benefits of canceling Quidditch in year four, which we haven't gotten to yet, um, and it, isn't it canceled again in year five? So she just said the games at Hogwarts were getting too similar. She she had to keep doing things. She had to keep doing things like rain to make them different or fog. You know what I'm saying? Because like 
Otherwise, they would have been extremely similar to watch with the same players and, and all that. So I think what she had said was that it became increasingly difficult um, to make it interesting and different both for the readers and for herself while writing um, Quidditch. But I, I think this World Cup was probably Joe's best effort, and I think it was probably before she really got tired of it. I hope um, so. Awesome undertones yeah, of male testosterone ridiculousness. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess I had never picked up on before, but I'm not one. I don't usually read into the whole like feminine, masculine thing. Well, it's just not something didn't that like... Didn't Noah think that like the snitch was a woman or something? Wasn't that a thing? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, let's not bring that back up because the fans basically hated every single word he said about that. <laughs> so, okay, after the after the Vila, of course, we see that the leprechauns come in for the Irish team. I didn't do any research on them. We know what leprechauns are. It's cool. Um, <clears throat> but then, well, I, actually, I'm so sorry. Can I just uh, something else just occurred to me that the yeah. players the players on these teams are all male. Um, no, I think there's just, a woman. Is it, um, there's a woman on the Irish team. Yeah, Moran, I think, is a woman. Oh, I must have missed that description. Um, because I was looking at Lynch, who's from Ireland, which I thought was funny. Um, but that's a dude. And I think he's the captain of the Irish team, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, yeah, I thought it was mostly, it's at least mostly guys, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I think, like, well, at least when Ludo Bagman's doing the commentary, you know, there's only one mention of a she as, you know, as one of the players. Now that the match is playing, Ron and Harry and Hermione are all using their omnioculars, and I thought that th- which I'm gonna actually that's I don't want to interrupt, but someone, um, a fan, uh, tweeted created a meme based on what we talked about the omnioculars last week. How we made a joke of it being like Oprah's favorite things. The <laughs> you get an omnioculars, you get one. Everyone gets one, and it was really it's on awesome. her Twitter. You guys should go check it out. It's really hilarious. Yeah. Our fans, like, you can't see right now, but I'm making a heart with my fingers. Oh. You know, it's it's basically like the Wizarding World's version of TiVo. Oh my god, it is. <laughs> yeah. But omnioculars are even cooler, though, because it will tell you, like, the play, the formations that the players are doing. And I was thinking about, what if, the, what if you could use this for, like, everything in life? <laughs> <laughs> well, sports alone would be amazing. No, no, like, no. To like, be able to see those plays. Say you're dating, and you're like, you go okay. out, and you just want to like see if what's going to happen. So you like, but it doesn't tell the future. No, but like, a, you know, you can replay. You can th- think about what they said. Yeah, and- <laughs> right. Like, so you go up and you interact with somebody, and then you like through your omnioculars it would be kind of antisocial no but then, but then you would get okay so you have somebody on, so you have somebody else like record it like and then re- you go and play it back and you can see if he's oh, well that makes sense like the friend that's like waiting by the bar yeah like, your wingman yeah the wingman i totally buy that yeah. and, and you get the all omnioculars the readout says only interested in one thing yeah <laughs> or it, like or this some Whoops. like the wrong wrong ski faint or whatever like a jerk ski something i don't know like Okay. I just think it would be really funny. Yeah, that would. <laughs> Google will develop it. Um, so I thought this was funny. Um, and you kind of brought this up before with the referee. Mm. How um he was being I guess what's the word I'm looking for? Affected by the Vila. And yeah. if like I'm sure that they knew the Vila were coming, so why would you not get a woman referee? Yeah. If if they truly don't affect women at all. 
And if it's blanket, no women are affected. Um, But still, the fact that they had eight months or so, isn't it eight months to prepare the Quidditch World Cup? I think Um, so. Yeah, I mean, and they overlooked that. Like, what, were the Bulgarian mascots that much of a surprise from everybody? You're exactly right, I think. The referee in particular should have been able to be passive. And I'm not saying that it's like he should have been stronger and all that stuff. But yeah, just get a woman referee. I mean, if it's that simple. Speaking um, of, and this I, this just came to mind, do you think that the Vila, uh, you know, it says that it's all the men, but do you think it goes off sexual preference? I'm just saying it. What if guys don't like girls? The Vila. Uh, I think it has more to... Uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I would say. I can't see why not. I think it probably has to do more with, like, pheromone. Uh, I don't know how that kind of thing affects someone who's not inclined to that section anyway. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't say. Yeah, I, w- I think it would be based off sexual preference, so... Okay, glad I'm not the only one. But it seems to be overly magical, like interspecies magical kind of stuff, so I, I have no idea. Oh, interspecies? Yeah, yeah but then... There are different species, so... Right. It's it's not like... It isn't less to do with liking something of your own species. It's a different species. It's like um, it's like unicorns. It's like finding unicorns beautiful or not. Right, but Who then does- it would affect women, too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I guess you're right. Well, somebody likes Vila enough to ha- uh, to be a father to Floor, so <laughs> I mean that's yeah. true. But how does there he do that. that? Like, how does he not kill himself trying to impress her? Or maybe he just has a strong will. <laughs> he's the most masculine man in the world. <laughs> he, he's the Dozeki's. I was just gonna say <laughs> that. Oh my God. The most, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this next part um, kind of offended me a little bit, but, I mean, that's not surprising. So the penalty, you know, all this stuff is going on with the Vila, and the leprechauns, it said, had risen into the air again, and this time they formed a giant hand, which (laughs) was making a very rude sign. And all I thought to myself was, there are children at this match. Like, who is regulating these mascots? Was this the first? No one. Was this the first? Clearly, no one. Was this the only film that was PG thirteen? Am I wrong? Was that Order of the Phoenix? Because they totally uh, could have included this, but it would have made it PG thirteen or more. I don't know. Um, for it, I'm not sure. I, I love that though. This is not the first time I don't think uh, that we've seen a reference to this. Um, I, I think even in Chamber of Secrets, when Ginny has them keeping on going back to the borough, like for her diary, like I think Mister Weasley shouts a rude word. Or something. It's it's always like it's a rude word. It's a rude gesture. It's Ron. Ron does that a lot. He's very vulgar. Yeah, Ron's very. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yes. it's hidden so well behind the word, you know, and behind the. It's yeah. alluded to, but and you know what it is. You can discern from context clues, but it's not said aloud. I, I think it's one of those brilliant things in Joe's writing. And right. leprechauns are meant to be sort of tricksters, right, or whatever. So if they, yeah, if they were told, you know, PG, you know, of course they're gonna go over the line. Right. Yeah. Um, but that just shows, again, uh, how not regulated the, the mascots were. You know, in kind of an area where it was probably smart to, to pay a little bit more attention. Clearly. Clearly. Um, so we're nearing the end of the match here. And this is after, after Crumb had already pulled his Ronsky feint. I think I said that right. Um, <laughs> and, and they're going towards the snitch again. And all of a sudden, Crumb catches it. It's over. They win. Actually, they lose. 
<laughs> I was just kidding. Bulgari loses. Um, one six. Who wins though? Ireland wins. Yeah. Okay. Go Irish. Go Irish. Go Team Ireland. He's um, pretty. He's pretty excited. But I will say, you know, guys, this really could have gone on much longer than it did. Um, reading Quidditch through the ages, there are games that that <laughs> happen for for far longer than than just a, a couple of maybe this was an hour tops, you know. If that, I know. Yeah, yeah it seemed um, a lot. It seemed shorter than like that. ten minutes tops. It could it could do you know have something to do with how skilled the players are. Of course, they'd catch the snitch faster because they got good sneaks. You know, I almost said sneakers. <laughs> sneakers. They have good sneakers and good seekers. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I think it is convenient that, that, that it happens so short. Um, but yeah, uh, sorry, continue making your point. It's okay. The, um, the line that stood out for me and made me laugh actually like incredibly hard this time is on page 114 of the U.S. edition. And it's after they were, you know, they're like, oh my God, Crumb gets the snitch, but Ireland wins. And, um... You know, Harry was talking about the Irish chasers were too good. He wanted to end it on his own terms. And Hermione's like, he was very brave, wasn't he? (sighs) And I just like, that's the moment she, that was when she fell for crumb. But if she knew anything about sports, uh, I think she, I mean, here's how I feel about it. I think it was a bad decision for crumb to catch the snitch. I'm sorry. Like you'd never catch up really. All he had to do was continue, um, because he kicked the other Seeker's butt, like crazy, he dominated the other Seeker, essentially just keep preventing the other Seeker from getting the snitch until your team can catch up. Um, Yeah, because if if Bulgaria would have happened to get two more goals, I mean, that's all it would have taken. It's like a two-goal swing, and they could have won. Exactly. At that that point, I don't think it was, uh, you know, that much of a certain thing that Ireland was, was just so better. You know, even though it was like 16 goals in a row, um, yeah. you know, if it would have been like a bigger different, like I would have at least let it get a little bit more widespread before I would have like made that decision. When you're talking about a 10 point difference or what would have happened if they had gotten 10 points and it would have tied 170, 170. Um, yeah, I don't know what happens. With or what is, is it the team who caught the snitch? Because that's what ended the game. You know, do you just do that? Yeah, that would make sense. I think yeah. it's I think it's probably definitively stated in Quidditch through the ages. Um, I'm, but still, that's how it is in Muggle Quidditch, so I'm positive that that's how it is in. Oh wow! Wizarding so Quidditch. you know, I I think that um, I don't think it was brave at all. Uh, in fact, just gonna call Hermione out on that. Um, but also, I think Ron says it too, where Harry, what, some of them agree, even the saying it like he wanted to end it on his own terms. I'm sorry, that's like that's wrong. There's I mean, he if that was right, sure, but Crumb just shouldn't have done that. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, in a way, I see it as giving up. So whatever. Well, is it a bit about developing his character as just this sort of prideful, um, proud individual that you know will will take the glory of having caught the snitch? You know, while he didn't win, he was still the one that caught the snitch um, and stop all the the goal scoring that's going been going on against them. Um, yeah, but this is the World Cup. It's like have a little but, bit more. You but know, it does like, speak what your to the, team. Yeah, it speaks to the fact that he was more interested in you know um, showing his skills rather than letting his t- team come back. And 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 furthermore, um, this it's a shame that uh, was I wrong? Is Quidditch canceled this year, or does it still happen? 
It's canceled before the Triwizard. Oh, because uh, they're growing the hedge, tournament. right? The hedge yeah. maze. Yeah. Um, okay. Right, well, is it a hedge maze? It is a hedge maze. Mm-hmm. Um, because I would really like to see, and this chapter reminded me of how cool it would have been, a broom match between Victor and Harry. Like, clearly, totally. clearly one is a super international pro star Quidditch player. So you can see kind of how that would go. Um, and then there's Crumb. But when they do both get on brooms... <laughs> <laughs> but when they do both get on brooms, it's separately. So, you, you know, and, and that whole scene where in the film where Harry flies all over Hogwarts, that's completely a movieism. Um, so you just don't get to see Harry and Victor face off on brooms, which would have been really cool. Like their 40 time or something. Like, it, like drills that football players do. I think it's a missed opportunity. But um, I agree. otherwise, you know, that was just brought out by, by Crumb's playing style and how he basically gave up at the end of this match. Very odd. The the last point that I wanted to bring up in here is about the beloved Fred and George. And on one of the pages, it says, oh, my God, like, <laughs> none of us were expecting that. And then there's yeah. Fred and George, like, hands out, broad grins at Ludo Bagman. And I was wondering, like, legitimately, how did they guess that? Yeah. Did they do divination? Like I said last time, such a ballsy bet. Did they try out some divination? Divination? Would that work? Yeah. Do they even take divination? I don't know. They're pretty smart, so. Well, like, wouldn't the the possibility of divination really screw up wizard gambling? Like, if somebody could really tap into that, they're making all this money on gambling amongst wizards. There is a quote from J.K. Rowling about this. She did finally uh, get asked this in a public forum. Because for for a really long time, the most likely theory was that they used a time-turner. Um, which yeah, is like, I was about to say. But they're so regulated, but it's like at the same time, if you look at statistically the odds of how often that has to happen where a team who catches the snitch doesn't win, right. um, it, it has to be so rare. And for them to be have been so confident enough, because if they had lost it, they would have owed him money, weren't they? Wouldn't they? Um, yes, a lot. Yeah, a, yeah. like <laughs> they're, they're more than their life's worth, or more than their house is worth, to quote uh, Lucius Malfoy. Um, let me... Just double check here. Did not have for okay. Fred and George um, did not have foreknowledge of the Quidditch World Cup. This is an interview with the Leaky Cauldron in two thousand five. They simply gambled on a hunch and won. They quote were prepared to risk everything. That's what Joe wow. said. So I think it's more of like a she made the decision a long time ago never to explain it. And now just says, yeah, it was chance. But I, I do think it's very unlikely that, that they would just do that. But well, couldn't it have been that they... Then again, if it was going to be any character, I think they're the biggest risk takers. So hmm, that's, that's fair. That's true. Well, I agree with while that. While it is a risk, like, couldn't, it, couldn't they have, like, studied all these, you know, these two teams really intensively, like, you know, information about them, studied the players themselves, and come to the conclusion, like Harry says at the end, that... The Irish Chasers are super, super good, and Crumb is proud enough to finish the game without winning. Well, so, yeah, and he's also much better than the Irish Seekers. Right, so, so yeah, he, they were probably convinced that he was going to get the snitch, but to see the Irish Chasers are so good, this is a plausible scenario. And obviously, it, I mean, it came to be, but... So maybe they just mm-hmm. have really good insight and, into Quidditch, and they should be yeah, scouting. That. So that's it. Uh, we end the chapter with the twins hands out at Ludo Bagman uh, waiting for their riches 
So. Yeah, yeah, everyone gets to go party and celebrate because everything's going to go so well. Yeah, we'll see it. We'll see if they get it. Exactly. So wasn't it, it was, last time you guys said that it was like $380 or something that it would come out to, whatever it was that they were betting. And then mm-hmm. Bagman right. gave them 10 to 1 odds. So they were in for like $3,800. $3,800, yeah. Which is not a small amount of money. It's time for this week's podcast question of the week. In this chapter, we see the Leprechauns and the Vilas, the two mascots for the two teams, face off several times, even coming very close to a fight. Let's say that the two parties decided to settle things off the pitch after the match. (laughs) Awesome. Who would win in a fight? We want to see some mythological and lore-based evidence here, not just some simple answer. Make it creative. Make it epic. That wraps up the show pretty much. We want to thank you, Leah, for being here. I hope you had... An amazing time. Yeah, cheers. Thanks. It was very fun. Good. I'm glad. So just like Leah, you too can be on an episode of Alohomora. I said it that way. You're going to have to deal. Head over to our website, alohomora.mugglenet.com. There, I said it back normal again. Or email alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. One of the requirements we ask for you to be a candidate is that you do have good recording equipment and a recording program tried and tested to record your own individual audio track, which is how we do this on this show. But in the meantime, uh, while your applications are pending, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes telling others about us and what you think of our show. And in the meantime, if you just want to get a hold of us, you know, if you a question, comment, or... Uh... Anything else, you can find us on Twitter at AlohomoraMN, Facebook.com slash Open the Dumbledore, or you can leave a voicemail, just like the one we played on the show tonight, at 206-GO-ALBUS. That's 206-462-5287. Please be sure to check out our ever-updating Alohomora store, where you can buy everything from t-shirts to tote bags with a number of sayings, expressions, designs, and we are adding more. And I just thought of us adding Team Vila and Team Leprechaun shirts oh, to the. <laughs> oh no! And I know, yes. based on our podcast question of the week. So who knows? We may, uh, depending on how fiery all of your answers are, um, we if if it's split directly down the middle, maybe we'll see about adding that. Oh but my God. you can go to the Alohomora store uh, via the link on the Alohomora webpage. Um, and check us out for sure. And there is a sale going on right now. Um, if you buy two items, you get free shipping. The code and everything is, I think it's Autumn 13, so A-U-T-U-M-N-1-3. Um, mm-hmm. But you can find out the information for sure over on our website. So check it out. Also make sure you check out our really great smartphone app, which is available in the U.S. and the U.K. for iPhone or iPad and Android or Kindle. It's $199 in the U.S. and $129 in the U.K. It's also available now for Windows 8 phone users for the same price in the U.S., and that is where it is available at the moment. On that app, you will find things like transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and a lot more. That does it for this episode. I am Eric Skull. I'm Caleb Graves. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 46 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore.
Yeah, that's cool. I, I didn't notice that either. Yeah, I totally skipped over that. Yeah, I know. Ravenclaw. Um, <laughs> but what house are you, Leah? I'm Hufflepuff. Oh, no. That's a really stupid question. Hufflepuff scheme? You're going to ask Hufflepuff scheme? She said you? that at the beginning of the show. Yeah, I know. John, you can cut that out because I sound like a blonde. Okay. Right after you're talking about being a Ravenclaw. 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 <laughs> Ravenclaw. Karma. Hey, I'm spacey. I have a bad memory. That's That suits the Ravenclaw. Okay, anyway. And speaking of the muggles that own the campsite, um, should we jump into the chapter for the week? Let's jump. Or take a port key or a sinking ship. Okay. Or a carriage full of horses. We were, oh, wait, uh, I was going to neigh and I like made some stupid noises. I don't, that, that really startled me. <laughs> or, or how about magic carpet, cat? Oh, no, no magic carpet for me. Thank you. No magic carpet for you? Oh, okay. No. That was so Noah of you. I loved it. Do it like Winky. <laughs> like Winky? I don't think I can pull that off. Oh, okay. I was just listening Open to Jim Dale's Winky. Except slightly more spastic. Open the double door! <laughs> <laughs> yes. What? Bloopers, hello. Okay. There's going to be a lot of those in this episode, kids. A lot of those. Well, when you have, when we get to like Madame Maxine, you guys should do it like, Dumbledore or something like that. Oh, Dumbledore. <laughs> I grid. <laughs> 